episode of the Stadium Journey podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. Stadium Journey is the ultimate stop for the traveling sports fan. Our website, stadiumjourney.com, contains over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and more. And in addition to the website, we are all over social media, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Like, follow, comment, and share. All over the place. The Stadium Journey podcast is now part of the new and improved HIAC Talk Radio Network. You can find this podcast in all HIAC's great content just by searching HIAC Nation Radio Network. Use your podcast search app. Do the same thing on Spotify. And in addition, all of our old video podcasts are on the Stadium Journey YouTube channel. Perfect for binge watching. And all of our archives of our old podcasts are still on VOC Nation. If you happen to be watching this show at a later date, the Stadium Journey podcast streams live on twitch.tv slash danloft83. Welcome to everybody watching right now. All right, I'm going to take a second and introduce our starting lineup. That's what our CA guys do. Dave Toddy's here. You can follow him at ProFan9. Mark Viquez can be found on the social medias at Ballpark Hunter. Dan Calachico, the above average comedian, is here. You can follow him at danlaw 83 and I am Paul Bay. You can follow me at Puckman R.I. So it might look a lot like summer in many places. It was 90 degrees here in Massachusetts the other day. But tonight, we're going to cool things down and talk some hockey. We are thrilled to be joined tonight by Zach Fish, the play-by-play voice of the Hershey Bears. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on tonight. It's good to be here. Uh, great season. I'm glad we got through. And yeah, it's uh, been warm here in Chocolatetown, USA as well. Uh, but good to be talking some hockey playoffs going on in the Stanley Cup finals uh, coming up around the corner. But it's been a couple of years since I've been with you boys. Good to be back. It's great to have you back. Yeah, so you mentioned it was just uh, an unusual season just completed down in the American Hockey League. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about what happened this year? Well, I'm glad we were able to play, plain and simple. That was up in the air, really Honestly, until the puck dropped, um, even in the wee hours before making sure the players agreed to getting out there on the ice with things being restructured with their payment. Uh, it came down to the final hour in a lot of different ways. But certainly, as we know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, just so many extreme circumstances and plain and simple. Everyone said you got to get fans in the seats for the American Hockey League to play. This isn't the NHL. You can't do a bubble. You know, the American Hockey League is not making a ton of money off TV advertisement compared to the NHL or others. You need bucks and seats, plain and simple. And that was uh, not really possible when things got going in January and February. But we made it work. 33 of the Bears' 36 scheduled games were played in Hershey. Every team was a little different. Things went on points percentage. There was no Calder Cup playoffs. The Pacific Division did a modified playoffs, but made the best of it. Ultimately, it's it's getting development for the prospects and it's keeping teams relevant and fresh in their areas and letting fans scratch that itch. But we had to be, as I'm sure we'll talk about, creative with social media, uh, with games on television, um, streaming things online, because we started the year, we had about 400 fans allowed in Giant Center. And as you guys know, at seats 10,500, most nights those seats are pretty full. Uh, and then by the end of the year, we had about 1,500 and that was it. That's still nowhere near what we're used to. Fans just couldn't quite make it like normal, but there was still that interest and excitement around our team, not only for as good as they were, just because of what they are in the market and the demand for tickets being so high and the supply being so low. Wow, I've got to say, I'm kind of jealous because up here in Providence, not only were we not allowed to go to the games, 
uh, Providence moved. They had them play at a practice rink up in Marlboro, Mass. So uh, the only way to catch the uh, P Bruins this year was was online, like you said, on television. So that was that was a bit different. Yeah, it's just different around in the league. There are several teams that played in practice rinks. I mean, Binghamton, unfortunately, is no more in our league, which is a crying shame. We got to get the Binghamton uh, hockey franchise back at an upper level, the American League. I know they're getting a federal league team, which is better than nothing. But uh, Not really. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> They'll I mean, be back I, eventually. I, uh, hockey's hockey, I suppose. But uh, if they could get them back in the AHL, the ECHL, it's a – it's one of my favorite places to go, but they relocated to Newark, uh, the Devils practice facility for the NHL club. Got to experience that for the first time this year. Uh, there are several teams that were you know, out west, even the Chicago Wolves, who are a historic franchise, were playing in a practice facility. You know, it was discussed at one point if the Bears would play maybe at Hershey Park Arena or if they'd have to play somewhere else. As cool as that would have been, there are just so many logistical hoops to jump through. It's sticking at Giant Center, which obviously Hershey – really kind of has a, a big you know, interest in compared to other places where they're just leasing. It made more sense that way, but different year in a lot of different facets. Um, you know, the atmosphere was completely different. Uh, you didn't see the music so loud, the video board have all sorts of craziness on it. The fans, of course, uh, next to none, cardboard cutouts in certain places, uh, pumped in fake crowd noise. And then just on top of it, you know, a lot of things that we're used to that are fan friendly, were not permitted by the league uh, as far as giving out three star sticks or t-shirts or whatever after the game or fans banging on the glass, they weren't permitted to be up against the glass. So very different in those ways uh, was fortunate. No other league let their broadcasters travel uh, while I was lucky enough to be able to travel to the games. Now Hershey only went to Newark, New Jersey to play Binghamton uh, only went to Lehigh Valley to play the Phantoms and then Wilkes-Barre uh, so all close day trips where we didn't have to stay in a hotel for safety's sake, that was another quirk in the season. But I was lucky enough to go and be able to travel to those while the ECHL didn't permit their broadcasters to go. Um, and the NHL also did things remote as well. So that was one normalcy that we had, even though it was very few visits uh, to different locations uh, across the country compared to normal. That's something I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, the broadcasters having to uh, do things remotely because, yeah, every every video – that I saw was done remotely. So that's it's people. difficult. It's difficult. I didn't do any American league games remotely. I know guys that did and they don't have the natural sound, the microphones, right? They don't have what's going on in the arena to get those cues of things. But I did do, uh, I was fortunate enough to do seven games filling in for the Washington capitals radio network this past year. And three of them were remote games. Uh, so I called a game from Madison square garden twice Listening to it, you wouldn't know I wasn't there, but I wasn't at Madison Square Garden. I wasn't at, uh, at the Coliseum on Long Island, uh, but I did games remotely. I had to go actually to Capital One Arena in D.C. to a studio they had set up there and then a couple monitors and watch the game. And there was one scenario just to explain how difficult it can be. Um, Artemi Panarin got a breakaway and scored for the Rangers. He was off the screen when he got the puck. It was a long stretch breakaway home run pass to the far blue line. And you have just that glimpse, right, to, to be like, okay, what's that number? He was shielded a little bit. Luckily, his skating style, his hair, and I could catch part of the number. I was able to kind of guess and get it right. But, you know, a lot of these guys, that's all they've done is these remote broadcasts. And baseball did that. Basketball did that. It's certainly difficult. I hope that it's not a cost-cutting thing. I understand why it would be. But – there's so much more you can bring as a broadcaster if you're at the venue. 
I mean, going to Dunkin' Donuts Center in Providence when they get back there, there's so much I can bring in that atmosphere when it's a full house, getting a chance to go up on Federal Hill and bring some of the locale and, and the, the area to my broadcast, the flavor to that. Um, you don't quite get that when you're sitting in a studio just reading facts off Provid about Providence, Rhode Island, and not quite seeing everything that's going on around you and having to guess. So hopefully that's something that we can get everybody back on the road and get going towards and you know, I think at the American League level and the NHL level, there's an understanding that's going to continue. It's the lesser minor leagues that I worry about a little bit. Yeah, definitely a good point. Yeah, and I guess when you're doing a game remotely too, I'm thinking about you're at the mercy of what the setup is in the different arenas because some some places, especially in the at the AHL level, have excellent systems, while some places not so much. So <laughs> that yeah, would really there's uh. There was an example of uh, my buddy, um, Matt Trust, who worked with me in Hershey. He, uh, unfortunately, his position got cut here in Hershey, but he landed on his feet very quickly. He's now doing not only PR, but broadcasting in Greenville for the ECHL team there, uh, the, the Panthers affiliate in the ECHL. And it's even kind of worse down there with their system because the AHL has at least mandated you got to get a lot of the graphics off that AHL TV feed. You can't have the graphics that are blocking gameplay. Well, the ECHL hasn't quite caught up to that. Uh, he was doing a game in Rapid City, and there was 30 seconds of play where they're just showing fans in the crowd dancing. And he eventually, at one point, after trying to fake it for about 10 seconds, said, they're still showing fans. This guy's dancing. Don't know what's going on in the game. And you just kind of got to go with the flow and have fun with it. So it's a challenge for sure. Um, you know, I don't envy guys at that level that have to do it for every game. And they're playing a full season down there, guys. They're playing – 72 games in the ECHL this year, uh, kind of a different world in the South for a lot of those teams. So they're playing a full year and a lot of games remotely, they're making it through. So that's, that's one of the things I wondered about um, the HL TV deal. So they, they had to tell, I wonder if they had any say in what the graphics looked like on those live broadcasts. And you kind of just answered that. So they handed down mandates to be like, listen, we have to have the game. You can't have stuff going on. You can't show directly the arena feed or nobody's going to watch that kind of deal, I guess. Yeah. They want what's called essentially a clean feed. So you're getting, um, you know, the things that go on the video board in stoppages are totally fine, but in, sure. in, in intermissions, and there is an ability on this setup for you to run advertisements or um, promotional information, upcoming game schedule, those type of things. Someone can go back in and run that. But, you know, a lot of times, and I've dealt with this in the USHL, the ECHL, everywhere, if the video board is showing an ad during the game and they don't cut away quick enough, you might miss a goal. Um, and that's, you're not paying to, to, to watch that. You're paying to watch the game. So um, the clean feed was essentially mandated when they switched to AHL TV. You know, not everything's perfect, but I think AHL TV has been awesome for the league. It's been a big step up. The price point is way lower uh, as far as things go. They put games for free on Facebook. And then, yeah, the look is the same for everyone as far as the scoreboard on there. Um, that was actually for us a little bit. We really liked the board that we had in Hershey, the score bug on there. We had to take a step back and go with what the league mandated for that that wasn't necessarily as advanced because everyone else, that was a little bit nicer for them. If you look at Providence, for example, they use kind of the basic Dactronics feed in the past where it just says home and guest or whatever was put in there before, um, and it looks the same font as a scoreboard, essentially. This now, it's all a uniform look. So uh, is it perfect? No, but the league uh, and, and Hockey Tech, the company that works with, have taken big strides for sure. I, I will just say this. Um, I push AHL TV more than I push, push NHL TV. 
Uh, not even at the price point. I know you're all kind of working together because you're feeding the big guys, uh, you know, minorly. But as far as watching the games and easy access, there is no comparison. And I'm talking about compared to even other sports. AHL TV has been a a savior for hockey nuts like Kelly and I, because we'll watch West Coast games, even if we don't have a horse in that race. We'll watch them because it's like, I can just press play and it's there. So my question was, I wanted to get that out there. If, if, if you're ever thinking, yeah. if you're on the fence, get off that fence, Absolutely. hop on over, put in your card information. You will not regret it. It's one of the best investments yearly that we have. So my question is, is do you get feedback from that app? Is it been getting the word out? Is it popular? Is it making the league money? I'm not sure about the last point because I don't get to see those figures. But oh, sure. I, I know we I know we get a ton of subscriptions in Hershey, yeah. and that uh, is fantastic. And a lot of other teams do. Um, and I know that more and more sponsors are open to being on there. For the first time this year, we had a sponsor um, on our on our bug on our scoreboard bug, yeah. which is great. And, and each individual team can have that. If you're watching Hershey's feed, you're going to see Penn State Health on there, one of our biggest partners. If you go to Wilkesbury, I don't know what they have, but they have a different advertisement as well um, on theirs. So that can be customizable, which is awesome. Yeah. And more teams are integrating that, which is great. But couldn't agree with you more on your feedback. I mean, the price point is awesome. We hear from a lot of Capitals fans that have bought AHL TV to follow prospects and to be able to go, look, you know, I'm not going to watch the Bears. If the Capitals are playing, they're my team, right? But I can go back and I can catch up on Connor McMichael and I can keep an eye on the future. And I can also watch really high quality broadcasts um, that is brought to the table. Not everybody certainly is on the caliber uh, of every team that has the best broadcast. We're lucky to have the crew that we do in Hershey. Um, and our feed actually gets picked up as a TV broadcast now as well. That's how good of a job they do. Kudos to those guys. But you know, you can watch a high quality there. So it's been good for the league. Um, we get a lot of we get a lot of feedback just from people saying, "Hey, the audio's too low, or fix this or that." So that's how I know people are watching. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are going to grow from this year because a lot of teams did give out subscriptions to their season ticket holders. They work with the league. They found a way to give out those subscriptions if you renewed your tickets. So I think a lot of people that have had it now are going to be hooked and go, look, I can't make every away game. I got to buy this package next year. I had it last year. I can't live without it. I just want to tack the song before Dave takes over. Um, And it's because we've watched the games the most, the fandoms and the bears, maybe a little edge. I'm going to give, I'm going to give props and edge to the bears. Uh, Their broadcasts are damn near perfect uh, on AHL TV. It almost syncs up to the second the radio the radio break is over because i'm because it's not the radio feed but it's like a it's almost kind of like a satellite feed with your audio sometimes i hear you communicate with the guys yeah on the board and it's like ah it's so cool i love the uh, yeah i i i can't i just wanted to put that app over yeah. again i, I love that that's app our, so much that's our biggest uh thing and michael o'brien the it was actually filled in i think for the boston bruins doing some pa announcing at times he's a former wilkesbury broadcaster um, he used to have in his Twitter bio, yes, we know we can hear you can hear us on commercial <laughs> breaks on AHL Live at the time because, you know, the way that it works is essentially I set up my radio board here and I go back to the radio station and then we plug one additional cord in that goes to our feed. Um, now, if I'm talking back to my producer on the radio station, no one can hear that. They, they don't have me turned up. I'm not on the air, but that's the only way as of right now, AHL TV can get their feet. Are they working to eliminate that? I think they love to come up with a uniform system where the yeah, levels like are the same for everybody. Wow. But uh, we know, we know, and our, my producers know, I warn them before every year, 
um, hey, uh, we can't be talking about it. What is this player doing or anything like that? That's that's going to go out. Not Mike. And there's yeah. been guys, there have been guys over the years that have been burned by that a time or two before forgetting uh, or not realizing they didn't mute their microphone or what. So, um, you know, you got to be careful with all that type of stuff. But uh, kudos, like you said, to our crew. Great save. It does a great job at the broadcast. And the fans <clears> are great too. Service Electric broadcast all their games. But yeah, on the really good ones, you're watching an NHL caliber feed like you would be sitting on your couch turn it on NBC and even the lower quality ones, you're still watching crystal clear HD. And then, you know, they got the app with the camera that you can zoom in on um, and pretty much choose where you want to go, uh, which actually comes into really big handy for certain things um, for the league. If a player comes off the bench or anything like that, they now have a camera that's a wide shot. that You can see everything in every building that they have access to tap into. So it's been a really good partnership for the league. Yeah, isn't that how uh, Tom Brenneman of the Cincinnati Reds got fired? Is like yeah, he yeah. was talking into a, a, a mic, a semi-hot yeah. mic. <laughs> yes, yeah, so. and that's the thing. Like going up to the NHL was the biggest difference for me because you're not on a you know a, a TV or anything like that. Um, but your producers do talk to you more, and you can hear yourself talking. It's not like muted, but you're not on the air. But you kind of just got to trust that you're not anywhere else. So I still obviously take that approach that. Anything that I don't want to get out, I'm not saying. But you're right. That game was in Kansas City. I'm a big Kansas City Royals fan. That's where I grew up, Kansas City. And I happened to be watching that game. Now I was watching the Kansas City feed. And then Twitter started blowing up. And sure enough, I had to go back and rewind and, and hear what everybody heard and um, see the very awkward apology. But, yeah, that's the last thing you want as a broadcaster <laughs> is uh, is to have that hot mic in there. That, that's one yeah. of the all-time weird things. Always, that's always really assume your mic's hot. Cristiano <laughs> hit a home run in the middle of his apology. That's, that's called the home run. Made it even tough, worse. Tough way to go. I was going to say, I forgot yeah. about the apology until you mentioned it. It's yeah, like, it, <laughs> you shouldn't be, you know, realistically, if you say that type of stuff and you get in the broadcast booth, if you think that way, it's going to come out, your true colors are going to show. So one, you got to be a good person and you got to not have that vocabulary uh, you know, that language in your vocabulary. And if you do, you got to be a lot smarter than that, but there's really no excuse for it. So nope. at the end of the day, I, I like to think, um, you know, if I wouldn't say it around my mother, um, I'm definitely not going to be saying it in the broadcast booth. And you always got to assume there's some sort of hot mic in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's change gears just slightly a bit. So in the last uh, decade, at least decade, maybe 15 years, the AHL uh, has seen a ton of changes most of which I think are fair to say have been pushed by the NHL. So we've had the big Western push, um, you know, the purge from the East Coast, moving everybody to the West Coast. Not everybody, but a good chunk of teams to the West Coast. We have teams like the, the Toronto Marlies, the, the San Jose Barracuda, the Manitoba Moose, all sharing essentially buildings or markets with their parent club. We've got like the Bridgeport Islanders, all of these definitely pushed by the NHL. So how do you feel that that all of this almost increased control by the NHL is affecting the NHL? Like, do you think it's good for the league? Um, but how, how are you feeling about all of this change that's happening? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I mean, you got to give Dave Andrews, who's going in the NHL Hall of Fame, recently stepped down uh, a ton of credit because... You know, in the 90s, I grew up going to Kansas City Blades games, IHL, um, and there's a big power struggle in the 90s. Um, this is really where it all started turning. I'll, I'll get uh, to your question as quick as I can here, but we saw the power struggle and both leagues weren't going to survive. And the AHL aligned with the NHL 
saying, hey, we'll, we'll work with you. We'll be your affiliate. We'll, we'll kind of meet the demands that you need. And, and that outlasted, you know, the IHL being in these big markets like Kansas City that, you know, weren't really fit for them, that weren't profitable. And the AHL made kind of this market out of it. But you're still going to get the Providences um, that go back to the days of the Reds, the Hershey Bears, the Rochester Americans. Those are the cornerstone franchises. Uh, Binghamton being lost is, is a big hit to this, but you're still going to get those cornerstone franchises, but you're right. It's a feeder, the top development league, the NHL. The NHL has a lot of influence in it. How rosters are made are completely changed. And Hershey's an example of that. And you can't say that it's impacted the success of the team because the Bears just were the regular season champions all but one year since this change occurred. They've been in the playoffs, but in 2016, Washington took over full control of hockey operations with the Hershey Bears. You know, they build the roster. Brian Helmer is the vice president of hockey operations, but he's not the general manager. He can't go out on his own and sign five guys if he wants to to American Hockey League contracts. He works hand in hand with Washington and then identify who they want. And they, he negotiates the contract with the blessing of Washington and together they get it done. But in the past, Doug Yanks, if he didn't like the direction the team was going, he could go out and get Scott Gomez if he wanted to. And then Scott Gomez could play over a young prospect, particularly. There's got to be a balance of it. And I look at what Washington and Hershey has done as a prime example. And you could even go with Providence and Boston. And I'll give an example of them too. But Matt Molson brought in for Hershey, makes a pretty penny, I'm sure, on an American League salary. Those numbers aren't published, but he's not getting paid nothing. Uh, he's probably getting pretty good bucks for an American leaguer. He's not going to play in the NHL anymore. You know, he's older. He's not a Capitals guy, but he comes in and the Capitals want him here because not only can he produce for Hershey, uh, he's still one of their top players and top power play players in the league. He's going to grab the young kids and help them. And Connor McMichael is a prime example. He's going to be a great NHLer. was just named to the all-rookie team today. Mav Molson has helped him a ton. That's where development winning go hand in hand, and you have to have that. While at times there's a power struggle of development winning that the AHL and the good franchises have found a really nice mesh for while you look at Providence as well. Paul Carey gets a two-year deal to be the captain of the team. He's a serviceable call-up, absolutely, a former Bear as well, to go up to Boston if need be. More likely than not, he's probably an American League player, but he's going to be great for these young kids that Boston seems to keep bringing up and having success at that next level. So if you're a good franchise and you can manage that development that has to be there now because of these changes that you talked about and mesh it with winning, that's only going to help your young guys. And Washington really believes in that. But you're right from rule changes from three on three overtimes and the trapezoids coming in and hybrid icing. The AHL has kind of been a tester market for a lot of these things. And then it's gone up to the NHL level. And then you see the franchises relocating. So it's more convenient. It's more money saving. That's also been part of it. Um, and it, there's been pains with it. You see markets lose teams that are great markets. I mean, Norfolk's a coast market now, and I know they're struggling compared to where they were, but that's a great American League market that stinks to see them. But if you think about it geographically, it makes a lot more sense to Anaheim to have their team in San Diego than it does in Norfolk, Virginia. So there was some reasoning to it. There was certainly some heartache with it, but I think teams are finding what works to mesh that winning and development and still have really good hockey because the fans still manage and you guys in markets know it. I mean, Paul, you know, it in Providence market, you want to see the Boston Bruins do well, but at the end of the day, you want to see the Providence Bruins hanging banners at the end of the year too. And that's what the fans demand at these levels. So one of these big changes then too, is that this AHL schedule has become 
absolutely ridiculously unbalanced. Do you think uh, that this is hurting those markets? Like, you know, uh, you can only take seeing your fans can only take seeing Lehigh Valley <laughs> so many yeah. times a year or whatever. And, and is there, uh, do you think that it's time maybe to, to split the league into, into half or, or make it like a more, more like old school baseball where it was like national league, American league, and they don't cross over at all. And then, you know, meet in the playoffs or uh, where do you think the balance is with regards to scheduling and, and keeping your, your AHL markets happy? Yeah, I think we're going to see a step back from the crossover a little bit just because coming out of the pandemic, there's going to be teams that are weary to spend big bucks to travel cross country right now. Um, I don't think it's in the cards for the Bears for this upcoming year. I haven't seen the schedule, but we were actually one of the teams that were very proactive in trying to get more of that. We did a trip um, a couple of years to the Midwest and played Grand Rapids, Milwaukee um, and Rockford. And we were hoping to expand upon that. We were actually supposed to go and play Iowa. Um, for the season that, that did not happen, that got eliminated and then it got cut down to 36 games. Um, we, you know, I'd love to play against the Chicago Wolves. Wendell Young, former Bears goalie, runs the show there. Those are two kind of cornerstone franchises since Chicago came in the league of these old guard uh, teams with a lot of success that I'd love to play. Um, but it has to be reciprocal where if you go there, they have to come to you. And we're still working on that. You look at the teams in California – they're not playing the same number of games as the teams on the East Coast. So to get them to come out and play and, and travel and then also come out to us, if we come out to them, we got to get them to the same number of games probably first before we can do that type of thing. So is it a problem? It's a little bit odd when you go to vote for awards at the end of the year and you're like, I haven't seen half the league. I got to go based off of like we talked about what we see on AHL TV and what we see in the box scores and what we hear from our colleagues. But um, I hope that after we get back to normal, I think we got to get through the 21, 22 season, but I hope the following year, more teams investigate playing uh, elsewhere. Wilkes-Barre was a team that was with us on that. They uh, went to Texas this past year um, and played against the Texas stars. I think they played San Antonio too. So there's a few teams that are like-minded and this is good for our fans. This is good to see different teams. I love the rivalry with Lehigh. I love the live rivalry with Wilkes-Barre, but yeah, 12, 14 times can get a little bit much, um, especially when it's, you know, kind of clustered into one clump this year. It was what it was right to get us through the season. But, you know, I do hope that we can see some different opponents, but there's ways around it. Like Binghamton's a, was a sore spot for me and then the schedule makers do the best they can, but Wilkes-Barre is the same. Like that's an hour and a half from Wilkes-Barre. That's two and a half hours from Hershey. And we went there once and twice most years in, in recent years, just because they're in a different division. Like I would much rather take two or three games away from Lehigh Valley and two or three games away from Wilkesbury and even that out and play the devils a little bit more, um, but just not the way that it's worked out. So I agree with you in a lot of sense. I understand it in a lot of sense from a business perspective, but uh, you know, I would love to, to get to some more of these Midwestern cities and eventually hopefully someday, you know, I think everybody, we want to get to Henderson, book us to Henderson right now, please. Send, send us to Henderson to check things out. Um, we will investigate and uh, we'll write up for stadium journey, you know, about that arena there. It'll be, a, there it'll go. be a business trip for there all of go. us. There you go. Well, we'll be out in Indianapolis. I would love to see the bears play a special game in Fort Wayne. Cause oh, I yeah. think those are probably two of one of the better minor league hockey markets uh, from, from a or fan's Lane's perspective. Legendary. Four lanes legendary. I got to see them play when they were in the UHL. 
wow. the team I they had the team one year in Kansas City. That was one of my first gigs writing for them as a kid for a newspaper, um, just doing stringer reports and stuff. Mm, but back in the day, that was cool. I never been to that building, but obviously listened to Bob Chase and oh, that's a legend. That's a the legendary, voice. legendary mark. Different oh. leagues now, but I mean, if you want to talk about minor league and just not only hockey but minor league franchises that are just so established that you know the average hockey fan knows about they probably know about the comments they probably know about the bears um if they're going to know any two minor league franchises yeah yeah definitely now i'm a bears fan my first game was 1992 at the old hershey park arena i visited a few times since uh anything going on there right now that i should know about well, there's a couple of exciting things there. LVC plays there, which is Lebanon Valley College. That's they're, right. They're a D3 team. Um, Doug Yanks, former Bears GM, is, is involved with them. So they practice there. We get to see them there quite a bit. Um, I think they draw like 500 people-ish a game, but it, it's hockey in the old barn. But another exciting thing is uh, Bruce Boudreaux has moved back to town, and he's bringing a junior hockey league team here, um, the Hershey Cubs. Their logo, if you haven't seen it, is like the Minnesota Fighting Saints, who he, of course, played for. That's right. Um, it's a ba- it's a bear, uh, like with the cherub with the with the halo on top of it. Um, same look. They're uh, they're in the United States Premier Hockey League, so it's like Tier Three Junior, not necessarily USHL or NAHL, but you know, looking to get kids D three scholarships and move them up to upper levels. Um, Bruce's son Brady is going to be one of the coaches. He grew up in Hershey for a couple of years when Bruce was coaching here, but you know, Bruce still wants to be an NHL coach. He's made that pretty clear. But Hershey, this is where he's going to retire whenever he's done. They bought a house. I think it's on the country club. Um, and he loves Hershey. And he's here with his wife now. And they're kind of running the team. They have a team in Minnesota that they do as well. So they're going to play at the arena. I think just with his name and, and what he brings to the community, I think they'll get some fans. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Bears, Hershey Entertainment, who owns the Bears, they don't own this team, but they're proud supporters of it. And, was helping uh, them with the press release, help get their the team off the ground. And I'm excited to go to some games and help out where I can because you know, there's college hockey, there's junior hockey, there's professional hockey and a great youth hockey market here. I mean, this is this is truly a piece of hockey heaven here in Chocolate Town. And uh, now would the Bears ever play a throwback game at the old arena? I would love it. I'm never gonna I'm not gonna say never, um, but from everything that I've heard, because this is honestly one of the most asked about questions for our fan base is <laughs> I just know that it would take a lot to get that building Definitely. up to code um, with with the way ADA guidelines are now. Um, they had to have removed some seats, unfortunately, a few years ago due to molding issues. Some of those old wood seats had to be taken out as well. So the arena is still immaculately kept. Our crew does an unbelievable job with it, still hosts events there, but um, to get the people in there that would want to get in there, it'd be very difficult. But yeah. one of the coolest things that I got to do right before the pandemic hit was uh, Bob Costas. This is actually a funny story. So I'm in Springfield and with, with Beaker, who if you know Beaker is our legendary trainer. He's been with the team since the seventies. He's kind of, uh, you know, they have Ralphie in Springfield. They call the old goat Beaker's right up there with them. These guys have been around forever and seen all different eras of hockey. Um, I'm with them in Springfield. We're actually just finished touring in Bristol, Connecticut, ESPN. They did a piece on our teddy bear toss, invited us out when we were in Springfield, close enough, short trip to come see. So pretty cool thing there. I get a voicemail on my phone um, and it's like, hey, Zach, this is Bob Costas. Give me a call. I'm like, (laughs) all right. "Okay, Okay, bud. Okay. And I'm with the guys from ESPN. This happened. They're like, yeah, I think he's got an L.A. phone number. That's that can't be him. That's one of your buddies pulling a prank. 
I'm like, all right, I'll give a call back once we get out to the car. I put it on speaker and Beaker and I five seconds in the call, like put it on mute, whisper each other. That's him. That's his voice. So he was doing a family trip. He happened to just be driving through Hershey um, in the, in the coming week and said, I want to go where Wilt Chamberlain scored hundred points. I want to see that arena. Is there someone that could tour me around? So uh, well, along wow. with the historian that we have here, yeah. myself and a couple of our staff members got to take him around Hershey Park Arena. And then he came over to the Giants Center and took a picture with our coaching staff. Couldn't have been nicer sharing stories of his days as a minor league broadcaster. But you know, yeah. he had never been to Hershey Park Arena, which, of course, as you guys all know, but listeners may not, is where Wilt Chamberlain scored his 100 points uh, and is a historical place, not only for what the Bears did there, but for that alone. Yeah. Um, so that was a pretty cool thing to get to take him around. So with. Bob Costas has that much pull. He just makes a phone call. Yeah, I don't know how he got my number, but I'm sure <laughs> he did. Let me tell you that much. I'll be there in an hour. Okay, Mr. Yeah. Costas. Yeah, yeah, whatever you say, bud. We got him all hooked up with some Bears nice. apparel. He and his son, Keith, and his son's a producer for MLB Network, so kind of all in the family. And, you know, it was only about a three-hour trip for him, but uh, he had a blast and then instantly went and talked about it on a couple national interviews he did. So um, Win-win situation. Nice. Yeah, it worked out. Uh, what I wouldn't give to catch a game in Hershey Park Arena one more time. Oh, One more time. Yeah, to broadcast a game there would certainly be on my bucket list. So I'll have to have to see if Bruce and, and his team or LVC ever need uh, – need to fill in for one day. I wouldn't want to step on any toes, but even just to call those games over there would be awesome. Did you say Kelly, that uh, Hershey bears playoff game is the hottest you've ever been. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Those seats, man. It was, it was like sitting in church, but you know what? (laughs) I didn't care. (laughs) I can imagine. I've been to an old, older building for, for games that it's, but I can't imagine a Hershey bear. I'm a hater, but I acknowledge the hate and why I hate the bears. I don't really, I I don't hate the bears. I just hate the bears. You know, it's like, but I, when I stepped into that building, unlike master square garden, Dave, when I walked into Hershey (laughs) park, I was like, I could smell it. I could Tingles. smell that stuff. Went down. It went down here, you know, they don't, don't, they know. don't make them like that anymore. No. It, is, it is a relic lost in time in the best way possible, where even just like the molding on the, in the lobby of the building is like this old hockey design. And just anytime I take people over there, my mm-hmm. parents or friends that come into town, other broadcasters that always catches their eye and just the way the seats are. And you're right. They, uh, the seats are not made uh, for people this day and age. Um, no, they're not. They, they are tiny um, and the broadcast booths are crammed in right among the seats and, and are tiny too. But we still practice there um, a decent amount throughout the year. Oh, really? And I know nice. it's difficult for our equipment managers to schlep everything over there. It's a lot easier when we're just at the giant center, but it's some of my favorite practices of the year when we're over there just to take in the history. It's unreal. yeah. And, and they didn't knock it down. A lot of these old uh, sporting venues, whether it's an arena or a stadium or a ballpark, Okay, we're done with it. Let's knock it down. This not is even fire used. took it down. Still yeah. being used for hockey. It's not uh, used for the home of the Bears, but it's used for you know they still do public skating there, correct? Yeah, public skating. Yeah. Uh, skate classes. It's it's used for all of that. You know, the ice gets taken out um, somewhat this summer, and then there's some other events that come in there. You know, do, do they have wrestling? Was in there for a yeah, while, but oh, they don't do that anymore. The high school wrestling. Yeah, they, that goes to the Giants Center now. Okay. They finally yeah. moved that over there um, to to the newer facility. Uh, but they do have some events over there that go in. But, yeah, they keep it up really well. The the crew does a good job. There was a fire there uh, in 2012 that that uh, luckily made out with minor damage of. But, 
I love going over there. Um, the creepiest I think I've I've ever been in an arena is we do some morning broadcasts sometimes with TV stations to start the year, um, and they get there and meet you at like 3 a.m. Giant Center was unavailable, so we did them at the arena. It was me in the pitch black at the arena waiting for the maintenance guys to turn the light on, turn the lights on. They're old lights, so they got to warm up. So it's just kind of eerie with the ice all foggy because it's still pretty warm um, in October at this point. You know, I was just expecting some of the, the great ghosts of Hershey Park Arena to pop out. Um, but uh, it's, it's an incredible place. I mean, if you want to talk about stadium journey, it's, it's something that's got to be on top of everyone's list. If you're on the East Coast, even if you just have a chance to drive up uh, and walk through without ice or with ice or just pop in, um, it's, it's a place that you kind of have to see as a hockey or sports fan because it is something like there's not a lot of left out there anymore. Like you said, most of those type of buildings no longer are standing. Okay, so I'm going to bust up the, the Hershey Park Love Fest here. Yeah. <laughs> we could go on for a while. It's so getting a little gushy here, Mike. Oh, we're actually, we're bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah. So, Give him a nice kiss. Zach, full disclosure, uh, I'm up here in Canada. Uh, I'm a big uh, Canadian junior hockey fan, Canadian Hockey League. Uh, I am not totally um, ignorant of the American Hockey League. Been to a, 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 I'd say two handfuls of, of places. I've been to Hershey, you know, I've been to Chicago, Belleville, a few other spots. But uh, I have been accused of being a hockey snob on this on this show a few mm, times. I get baseball it, baseball snob too. So uh, sell me, sell me on it. Why should I? be interested in the American hockey league. Why should I travel to see American hockey league hockey and in, in various spots? Uh, this, this is your chance to, to sell me on it. All right. Let me get my salesman pitch on here. It's been a bit, it's been a couple weeks since I've had to wear, wear this hat, but uh, look, the, the AHL um, from a hockey perspective, it's for the most part, you're going to see your future stars, ahead of when they go on to be in the NHL, which is something to be said right there. Now you could say that too about the Canadian hockey league, uh, but there's going to be a lot of guys that are just on the cusp of playing in the NHL and they are right there. Um, and you can see it for a fraction of the price that you're going to see it in an NHL market, but you're still going to get those rabid fan bases in most places. You're still going to get really high quality hockey and you're going to get a lot of people that are going to be on TV and that we're going to be talking about um, on other podcasts someday because they're there before they get that next opportunity. What the AHL brings to the table is this high level world-class hockey um, for affordable prices for families that is very competitive, that is very elite, that is essentially a breeding ground for future stars. And what I love about it is the competitiveness of the league and the parity of the league is so strong, much like the NHL, but you can be following a team, following a guy for years, and then he gets that break and he's an unbelievable player at the NHL. Or you have those hometown heroes that might never get that break that are with the franchise for a number of years that are something truly special that we see less and less of at the minor league level as well. Um, but what it's going to encompass, if you're a hockey fan, you're getting high quality hockey, you're getting future stars, you're getting veterans that are still playing for the love of the game, and you're getting teams chasing championships and still a lot of hitting, you know, still an occasional fight here or there. It's not a gong show like it used to be. It's damn good hockey. Um, this isn't a brawler league like it used to be anymore. Things have certainly changed. If you're talking about from the fun perspective, we got the teddy bear toss in Hershey. 
Um, you know, from a family perspective, you're not going to get that. That's not allowed at the NHL level. This crazy, unbelievable event that gets all over the world from Canada to overseas, that's minor league hockey at its finest. And that's the salesman side of it that I love wearing the PR hat, you know, getting to pitch these national TV stations about we're throwing 45,000 teddy bears onto the ice after our first goal. You got to see it to believe it. Um, for a hockey purist, that doesn't really do anything for them. For the family man, for a mom that's looking to bring her four kids out, that's a demographic that we have to hit here at the AHL level, that's going to sell it to those folks. So you get the best of both worlds um, where it's affordable tickets for, for folks that are just getting into the game, and then you're getting really good hockey that's competitive, that's future stars, um, that's great systems, that's a feeder into the NHL, and it's it's truly special. And to compare it, to major juniors, um, and I, I was in the USHL for, for full disclosure as well, so American side of major juniors there. The only difference is kind of the college eligibility side and just being on different sides of the pond, but um, that league is great. You get to see kids when they're young, and you can tell. Like Kyle Connor just scored for the Jets last night, elimination goal. Saw him at 16-17 playing for the Youngstown Phantoms. Knew he was going to be good. But he was super young, so the hockey wasn't quite as advanced, wasn't quite as there. Not everybody on those teams went on to play you know, professional hockey. So you kind of weed some of those lesser players out. As you get up, you get guys stronger, more mature. Um, it's bigger bodies. It's men out there on the ice. So you're going to get a little bit better of a level, a little bit more of a physical style of game, a little bit more advanced level of hockey. Um, while I love juniors, I love my time in the USHL, You know, pro hockey is a grind. Uh, but there's a lot of good that goes along with it. So there's your pitch on the hockey side, on a family side, and they mesh together and make what's truly special in minor league sports. And especially in Hershey, you have chat. Oh, yeah, you, 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 made, you made Dave so impressed he can't speak. Thank uh, God. But <laughs> shut him up. Yeah, that, that teddy bear toss was incredible, Zach. You said 45,000 teddy bears? Yeah, that's what the that's what we did in 2019 before the pandemic hit, um, which is a, a world record. Beat out the Calgary Hitmen, of course, are at the Saddle Dome, which is a bigger building than us, about double. Um, Calgary wants to say that we don't have a legit record, but that I was there. It definitely was that. And our people counting, there's hundreds of people counting, and they take their time on it and get it right. It's okay. Calgary doesn't have a legit owner. <laughs> we have uh, we had a dr a drive through teddy bear toss as well this year and we had to wait just for some logistical reasons in the pandemic until january so we we're worried we missed out a lot of people maybe donated them for the holidays we had to wait till january and i think we got i, I have to look back at the number i think it was thirty-three thousand. and they drive through teddy bear toss the people driving by um and tossing bears out their car windows like our fans are nuts in the best way possible they look forward to this i think people that have been saving them are gonna, we're gonna have maybe fifty thousand next year and it's a long delay to clean all those up we did the game on tv in 2019 a lot of tap dance and having to fill the time but they go to about 40 local charities and kids in need um and it gets attention all over the globe we have some analytical monitoring systems that our company has and it picks up all the international hits and you know seeing some of these countries that i don't even know what language they're speaking but our teddy bear toss video and my voice quietly in the background while they're speaking um in their native tongue over it that's pretty cool to kind of see the reach that it has, not only locally and the good that it does, but internationally too. Um, so you had the 45, 650 breaker the year before that you had 34, uh, 798. And during a pandemic year, this is from the Hershey bears website, 31, 381. 
perfect. I was close. So tell Cal- thousand teddy bears over three years. You tell you tell Calgary to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're they're doing good for the community as well. It's a friendly rivalry at this point, so we'll take it. But our, our fans, you know, the, you know that Michael Jordan meme taking it personally. That's our fan base when they're like, you know, and what? I took that personally. <laughs> we, yeah, our fans they 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 take everything personally. They want to be the best out of you know. We got the. They have that attitude. We got the most banners. Come, come get as many as we have. We got the most teddy bears. Come get more than we have. So um, that's what I love about Hershey. Is it just, it is such a diehard place. And that's another thing is, you know, junior towns you get that too. Uh, but you get these towns like Hershey where, not only is chocolate the thing here that that's huge for tourists. The locals love it as well. But um, in Hershey Park, the locals love it as well. But it's a huge tourist thing. But the hockey team is the heartbeat of the town, in in, in my opinion. And we got 10,500 seats and there's 14,000 people that live in Hershey. Now they come from the surrounding area too, but just the impact that this team has had and the following that it has that you can go on the street and anybody is going to know who the players are. Or, you know, I go up, whether I'm wearing this bears hat or not, um, someone's going to pick my brain and talk hockey and get their two cents in. And that's what I love about it. It sets you up for those great NHL markets North of the border um, or in a place like Minnesota or these hockey hotbeds, um, where the guys are going to go to the next level and be expected you know, to kind of always be at that caliber and never know who's watching them. All right, Zach. So um, I know that we're up against the deadline for you. And since this is the Stadium Journey podcast, I want to take a, our last segment here and I want to pick your brain about some of your favorite places you've been to over, over your career or some of the best places you like to go to catch a good hockey game. Absolutely. Um, couple for me. And I'll, I'll just kind of progressively, if we got the time, I got the time to, to talk go about this, um, but I'll just kind of progressively go through my career as a fan and then um, my journey in hockey and, and list off some places that I'm sure you guys have heard of or been to. If not, uh, hopefully the fans can check out. But I grew up going to games at Kemper Arena, which which no longer exists as a sporting venue to watch games. It's now called Hy-Vee Arena yeah. for a local grocery chain. Great and job. Youth, youth facility. Now, which is cool that they did that to it, but it was a 18,000 seat arena um, where the Kansas City Scouts initially played back in the 70s. But I grew up going to Blades games. It was in the stockyards in Kansas City outside the Golden Ox restaurant. There wasn't a lot around it. Um, They put some facelifts to it, but it was old. It was dying, but it was the place that I grew up watching hockey. I loved it. Um, I would do anything to get in the time machine and go back and sit there and sit in my old seats behind the net. And watched him games like my favorite year was the year that um, after he was a star with the Penguins as a rookie before he went to Ottawa and became great again. Patrick Aleem got assigned to Kansas City as their goalie. And my dad and I had tickets to a ton of games and went and sat behind the net and sat behind Patrick Aleem for two periods and just were in awe of how good he was that year. I'd kill to go back and do that again. So no longer can go there. But that's that's where I grew up. Um then I moved into the NCAA ranks, went to school at St. Cloud State. Uh, Herb Brooks National Hockey Center there is an awesome hockey facility that is strictly hockey focused. It's not an arena. It's, it's a hockey rink um, with the seats around it named after Herb Brooks. They put in a lot of good touches to it. The atmosphere is unbelievable to watch a game. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's one of many that I had an opportunity to call games in college. Um Mariucci Arena is great. Minnesota, where the Gophers play. Amsoil Arena, where Duluth plays, are great. But the best one that I've been to in college is by far Ralph Ingolstadt Arena in Grand Forks, North Dakota. 
It's a mini NHL building. It could serve as an AHL building for the best AHL market out there. It's it's sick. Like those guys have it so good if you play for North Dakota there. Um, and the fans there are ridiculous. And it is a hostile environment. And you're treated first class. And I got to call some games there and super lucky. So that is one that should be on every fan's bucket list if you follow college hockey to get to. And I know the guys that play there come to the American League and they're not necessarily wide-eyed like a lot of the younger guys uh, because they played in front of those big crowds before. So uh, NCAA, those are ones I'd name. Um, then I went to the USHL, United States Hockey League, junior hockey, um, some good arenas there as well. I was in Dubuque, um, a state community ice center. It's a community rink, but it's perfect. The cowbells ring and low ceiling gets loud in there. Not a lot of bells and whistles, no video board, but just a real good atmosphere. But um, two rinks that I want to point out in that uh, market, the ice box in Lincoln is this old near the stockyards as well, kind of barn that you actually broadcast the game from a podium in the corner. And it is so loud and the fans are right on top of you and they have a cool kind of laser show before the game. Like it's up there as having a heck of an atmosphere when it's packed. So no amenities in that one or Buccaneer arena, which tune is going to be gone as well. I think that actually sustained some damage in the storms that Iowa had and the Des Moines Buccaneers are moving into a mall into a new arena, but that was an old barn too. That was falling apart that just had an unbelievable atmosphere. So two cool old school rinks there. Um, that I always love going to. And then Sioux Falls built this Mecca, this Denny Sanford Premier Center that's unbelievable that, again, is an AHL building um, that is awesome as well. But moved into the coast. Um, North Charleston Coliseum was my building in, in ECHL um, in South Carolina. But some of my favorites to visit, I love Jermaine Arena in Florida, Estero, Florida. I've called college hockey there, NHL rookie tournament there, and ECHL hockey there. It's just a good atmosphere. It's it's near the water. It's in a cool part of the country. Always like going there. But I think my favorite arena was uh, a classic American League arena. I don't know if they, they call it even now, but uh, in Glens Falls, the Glens Falls Civic Center, I think it's got a name to it now, a sponsorship. But that building, oh, yeah. 1,800 yeah, cool, people. Wait, what cool, is it cool now? Insur- cool, cool insuring arena. Whatever pays the bills, I guess. Cool right? insuring. Um, Yeesh. Cool insurance. Yeah, that's uh, I'm glad I don't have to say that. But um, Glens Falls Civic Center was awesome. We had a playoff series there with them. Only like 1,800 in the building, but fans were just so loud and going freaking nuts. And there's this cool diner, Poopies, that's right near it. That's the name of the place. Great greasy breakfast food. Like, that's a cool spot. There's been a lot of legendary broadcasters, from my perspective, the late Dave Schrader, that, that called games there. So I love that place. Um we got to go to Indianapolis as well. Speaking of that, the, the old Farmers Coliseum and do a game there that was pretty cool. But um, And last but not least, get into the American League. You know, I'm biased with Giant Center. It's, it's my home. I'm so lucky to get to go to work there every day. I love doing games at the PPL Center in Allentown. They did so much right with that building. Uh, but I'd say probably my favorite place to go and call a game is Toronto. What they did Ooh. with uh, the Coca-Cola Coliseum. Um, Rico or what it was before. Now, yeah. yeah, the broadcast booth is just perfect. When it's packed, it's so loud. Like it's a cool old building that they made in this modern look and it just screams hockey. You're in this unbelievable city. So that's one of my favorite to go to. Um, I also really like 
as well in the American League. Um, even though it's pretty plain, I think they did a lot well in Laval at Place Bell. If we're talking north of the border, that's just a really well done building. It could use some little bit more uh, touches to it. It's just kind of boring as far as the concourses go, but the atmosphere is really well done. And another one that I'll give north of the border too is uh, is St. John's um, was one of my favorites getting to go there. They're in the ECHL now. Heck of a town, cool building. Brian Rogers is their broadcaster. He's a legend. So three north of the border that I love. And I'm jacked to get back to, to Providence, Paul. Um, I'm excited. I said that some of the guys in the league, we, we talked about it last time I was on this. Um, being away from hockey for so long, I don't think anyone's going to have a, a peep come out of their mouth about having to broadcast from the corner in Providence again for a while because we're just going to be also jacked to be back in Providence and back on the road and, and back calling games. So um, Providence is one of my favorite road cities to go to. We stay right by the rink. Um, there's always something going on in that building. You might be able to catch a basketball game there or something else uh, in the building, uh, Providence College or something along those lines. And then going up to Fed Hill, man, I can't wait to go get some calamari and Andinos or Casarinos and get a good real Italian meal on the road um, and then get to call some hockey in a, in a cool building with a lot of history. So um, I could go on and on. We could discuss further buildings, but um, those are just some, if you got your notepad at home to jot down, if you ever get a chance to visit on your journeys throughout many different worlds of hockey that I've traveled are some of the places that I've loved going over the years. And there's some great cities uh, outside of the arenas and there's some great arenas that maybe aren't the best cities as well, but uh, every one of them has their own unique side of it. And, you know, I, I have frequently found myself on your website uh, looking at barns that I'm going to for the first time as well, to try to get a little bit of inside info. So it is a great resource that you guys provide. Beautiful. It's much appreciated. You just, I think you just launched a thousand road trips there, Zach. You, yeah, you know, some, uh, you told me to be thorough. And- if, if I'm, uh, if I've been all this time with just going to a practice rink in Newark, uh, the arena in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Mohegan Sun Arena, the PPL Center, um, I got a lot of thoughts on those places that I miss right now. I can't wait to get back out on those thousand road trips myself. Yeah, you and me both. You, you, so you mentioned how you came in our war, but I got. I'll tell the story real quick before we let you go, Zach, because uh, there was one game where Kelly was actually watching the game on uh, on AHL TV. And uh, I guess <laughs> and, uh, so you were for our, our listeners who don't know that the visitors press box up in Providence is not in an ideal location. It's Correct. way up in the corner. And so I, my uh, my seats in Providence, I have season tickets to the Providence Bruins and we're right on the glass behind the net. So I get this text from Kelly saying the Hershey play by play guy is just you know, crapping all over your arena right now. So like, oh, really? <laughs> so, so we, we just got with this, uh, you know, this funny back and forth <laughs> about Providence. And then it, we said, hey, you got to come on our podcast. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, there you were. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not been nothing personal ever about the Dunkin' Donuts Center, although I know our equipment guys would prefer not to have to move <laughs> out of the limited locker rooms because there's so much going on there. It's just, uh, it is, uh, she happened to, to, to catch uh, my broadcast on the right day because I certainly know I'm not the only broadcaster <laughs> that gets a little salty about it. And I don't normally do it on Twitter, which a lot of other guys have and a little bit more of there. It's usually a snide comment here or there. And I think that was something along the lines of, uh, you know, we had a lottery sponsor. Oh, if I won the lottery, I'd put in a new press box here in Providence along those lines. And 
Um, you know, I'm catering to the Hershey fan base, but at that time, Providence did not have a guy calling the games, um, which uh, what I would throw back of, hey, I'm glad they do now because Providence fans deserve to have, you know, their guy calling the games. Everyone wants to hear it from their slant. Um, no matter how good of a job I do, I'm never going to call it from a Providence Bruins slant because that's not my employer. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be down the line. There's going to be chocolate, white colored glasses uh, on for me, certainly. But at the same time, I'm I'm not going to be a total homer. I, I'm just not the way that I call games. But at the end of the day, I am catering to, to my fan base. So every once in a while, we like to bring in the atmosphere. That's why we got to be there to provide that atmosphere a little bit. So it was all in good fun. We had a nice little back and forth that was all uh, good ribbing nature. But um, as I said last time I was on there, Prov- Providence is one of my favorite spots to go. It, it means a lot to our team, too, because Spencer Carberry, our head coach, worked in Providence as an assistant for a year. So he loves the guys, the staff there. And Beaker, our longtime trainer, his son, Dusty, um, runs the show as well on the medical side now for the P Bruins. So it's uh, it's cool. It's kind of a family reunion when we get back there as well. Um, with some good eats and some good hockey along the way. So uh, never any ill will towards Providence, but uh, that's what it took to get our worlds to collide. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad I was feeling a little salty about my vantage point that game. Just, just sitting on the couch with the rants going on, going, okay, I'm just I'm going to go over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was it. all in good fun. And we, we, uh, we're glad that it allowed us to meet. And, like, uh, you text Paul right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and he I think the word it. you just used the word salty. I think that was the exact word Kelly used. Uh, the, the Hershey play by play guy is being pretty salty right now. Yeah, I think that was the the N word at the time. Salt Bay was going around and everything. So <laughs> we, we, we were we were on the trend of that at that time. But yeah, there'll uh, there'll be a time or two that, um, you know, I, I never consider myself. I don't like to be a whiner. I don't like to sit there and harp on officiating forever or anything like that. There's too much good that goes on in our game. But um, as my wife knows and uh, has to remind me of uh, sometimes the little the little side, snide comments I make, you said that out loud, you know, right? So I have to remember that on the air, uh, too, to not get myself in there. Sometimes when we watch it a Bears fan game, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to unfollow him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, if you were a Penguins fan, I get more in there because our fans, oh, uh, listen, our fans I- dislike the Phantoms, but our fans really dislike the penguins and that's, there's a long rivalry so that's where I mean, we get that's where we gather together because when you're yes. when, when i'm watching a bears penguins game i'm like you know he's right there's a small thing that our fans just pick up and love is that we go to wilkesbury and i'm sure this fan does it intentionally now because i'm sure it got back to them which yeah. is totally fine it's all in good fun but um but above the press box every game a fan will dangle down on a noose a coco doll a hershey bears coco doll of our mascot Ooh. and you know i comment oh, it's not very politically correct this day and age to be doing something like that and um kind of gave it uh, a little bit on the air and our fan base liked it and it became kind of this running joke that oh we must be in wilkesbury but first game they didn't have fans so it wasn't there the first game they had fans sure enough that fan just threw it down i have no idea who the fan is they sit above me i can't see him but i said on the air i've never been happier to see um, Coco in this compromising position because it means we have fans back here and the atmosphere is coming back as well. So no. it, uh, it definitely is, uh, it's fun, but that's what rivalries are for. And, uh, we got to play into that rivalry a little bit too. Our fans probably take it way more seriously than us media guys do, um, at times because like some of my good best friends in the industry are, are guys that our teams are supposed to hate each other. Uh, but we see each other so much that we're, we're such good buddies. Um, that it, it's funny how it all works out at the end of the day. Speaking of fans, and I know Paul, uh, that I'll 
I'll silence myself because I know you got to go. Um, Paul's a member of this uh, Facebook group uh, with me as well. And he knows I, I actually commented on something last night just to kind of stir the pot because Paul was getting pulled into an argument that he didn't want to have. So I was just like, well, no, actually, Paul's right. And then I just <laughs> I tipped out. But you know what I'm about the, lo- about the, oh, logo, the logo? But Yeah, I was like, you know, Paul's right. But as a 12-year-old kid, I wasn't going to engage. Yeah, I just said that and I bowed out. But it's very funny. This is why I've cooled down on the Bears fans thing, other than, you know, oh, I hate the Bears so much. Rah, is uh, every day there's a post on that page about how much the Bears suck. <laughs> and I don't mean I agree with it. I'm saying it's so I'm like, the Bears are that team of the AHL. They're yeah. literally that most hated thing in that league. And being that I'm practically married to a Bears fan, I quite enjoy that. It makes me laugh. Because they ain't us, right? That's what they say, huh? I mean, it's just it's cool to be in a market like that that everybody has um envy of at times and hatred of at times as well, because that is it is the the cornerstone, the gold market or the gold standard market in, in our league, uh, along with the teams like Providence, along with the teams like Rochester that have been here for a long time, that have won a lot, that are still very relevant and still very successful. Um, I mean, it was going to be Providence Hershey, probably, in my opinion, was going to be one of those two teams was going to make the finals in 2019, uh, 20. Those, that was my biggest fear of, of having to go through Providence at the playoffs. I thought that we could get through pretty much anybody else um, in the Eastern conference to get to the finals, but Providence is always such a tough, heavy team. You know, the, the success that those two organizations have had um, is incredible for as much history that they have in the city. So it's cool to kind of be part of that franchise and have that swagger um, a little bit there at times without being overly cocky um, because there's some places that, that as we know, whether it's junior whether it's American league, whether it's the ECHL, USHL, whatever, that they're just, I don't want to say they're irrelevant franchises, but they just, they haven't won. They don't necessarily have the fan base. They're there, but they're not making any noise. And when they post something, there's not any chatter on it. Um, you prefer not to be part of that. It's an honor to be wherever you are and nothing against those franchises, but you want to be part of one where everything is important to your fans and they dissect everything and they discuss everything um, and everything that's bad is the end of the world and everything that good is the greatest thing in, in, there is because that's uh, that's a, a fan base and we have a fan base that rivals uh, NHL teams and is a mini NHL and there's places like Providence that have that as well. And we're, we're certainly lucky. Well, let's hope that our paths can cross in the 2021, uh, 22 season, Zach. Oh, I hope so as well. I hope we can see, uh, see in Providence, uh, see you guys in Lehigh Valley, anywhere North of the border. Uh, always would love to have you in Hershey. Come check out the giant center. Uh, it's, it's an unbelievable place, but thanks for having me again. Uh, we look forward to doing this. I think we're on like every year and a half type of schedule now. Um, I'll have to keep giving reports. My wife was just having a baby last time we talked. He's turning two in a, in a couple of months. So uh, before his fourth birthday, we'll get back together and do this again. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, Zach. All right, Jens. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. All right, that was Zach Fish, play-by-play voice of the Hershey Bears. Always a great interview. Love having him on. So this is now the part of the show. And if you'll notice, those of you who are watching, we, we, we lost Dave and we lost Zach. But. That's okay. We'll finish up without him. And then um, there were three. Then there were three. It's it's Survivor. <laughs> we're we're going to recap our visits over the last couple of weeks. And actually, I believe I'm the only one who had any trips. But boy, did I have some trips. I went to two brand new ballparks. 
So um, let's start off. I went to. I did not go to see a Genesis concert. No, no, no. Oh, it's and then, and there, then there were. It's and then there were three. It wasn't Genesis at one time like had like five or six guys in the band. They had five. Then they went to four. Then, then they, they went, to, went to four, and then they went to three. So I actually got to go to the opening homestand at Polar Park in Worcester, Massachusetts, home of the Worcester Red Sox. So, uh, you know, you guys all know it's no secret that I'm a Rhode Island. Oh, guy. I've been. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Even, even though, even though I am now a mass hole, oh. you know, I was, I was, I grew up in Rhode Island. So, yeah, got to go up to uh, to Worcester. Now, let's see. I wanted to hate the place. Really wanted to hate the place. And as we were pulling out of the garage, <laughs> Pam, looked just... says, Pam looked at me and says, "Before we get going, before you get all and bitchy." The Paw Sox are dead. Wow. Blake's and said, get out. Wow. <laughs> you, wow. She, she said that to you. She said that to me. And wow. she, her explanation was, this is how she is coping with the loss of the Paw Sox. Oh. And I said, yeah, they are dead. They're not coming back. You're right. Absolutely right. So it did help kind of clear my mind. We went in with an open, yeah. open mind. So we had. Uh, we I loved got, it. Yeah. <laughs> Pam will always have the ability to set me straight. No well, usually that. women, usually spouses do. Pardon yeah. that. Usually the yeah. spouse is like, stop it. Don't be a baby. Wait yeah. So we went up to, to Worcester, which is actually not that far. It's about an hour and change away from where we live. The only issue is it's it's a half an hour further than Pawtucket was. They built <laughs> it on the wrong side of Pawtucket. If they would have built it in mass on this side of Pawtucket, we would have been fine. So uh, even though now I am paying for it because I'm now a Massachusetts resident, I am paying for part of the ballpark. I can use less. So that's what sticks to my craw. But we ended up getting uh, standing room tickets for nine dollars, nice. very cheap price, um, on a section called the Bridge. So we'll get into that in a little bit. So Polar Park is jammed into this old, um, abandoned uh, industrial section of Worcester called the Canal District, which is really a kind of an underserved, underutilized, kind of sketchy area of Worcester. Like at least back in the day. Canal District is making a nice comeback. Nice. And there's some, even before the uh, Woosocks announced that they're going to build the park, there were some businesses coming in. It's kind of had an artsy vibe to it, which I always love in a city that the, the neighborhoods with the artsy vibe. So it's it's not there yet, but the Woosocks, the project that is supposed to have the ballpark and shops and hotels and condominiums and the live work play thing that's all the rage now. None of that's there yet, just the ballpark. Ballpark is the first piece. So interesting thing, you drive up to Polar Park, it doesn't look like any of the ballparks look like now, which is a nice thing. You know how we, we've talked on this show about how a lot of ballparks now, the red brick, the cookie green cutter, series, cookie cutter. You walked up, you, you know, you drove up to Polar Park. It looked like a warehouse, it looked like an Amazon warehouse. It looks like it's blue aluminum siding. Is that a good thing? Um, it was kind of jarring. I wasn't expecting it to look like that, but it did. It's different. Not good, not bad, different. And so you go inside. Um, first of all, I'm going to get out there. They've got the stupidest mascot ever in pro sports. Smiley ball. The reason behind that is the guy who invented the smiley face, the have a nice day, yellow smiley face, was yeah. Worcester. So they kind of made that smiley face into a mascot. That's neither here nor there. So we got into the ballpark. It's blue. It's blue. Everything's blue. Worcester blue, they call it. Um, they wanted it to look and feel and act Worcestery instead of be a Fenway Park carbon copy. 
So yes. it's all blue instead of green. Um, it's a bandbox, though. It is a teeny tiny ballpark. They jammed it into a little, you know, little space. So it seats about 10,000. So uh, we were there. The um, capacity restrictions were still in place. Supposed to be about 2,400 for this park. I swear there were 6,000 people there. They jammed. The, the, the seating bowl was still restricted, but every social area, every gathering spot, every standing room was packed. So we were shoulder to shoulder. We were on the bridge, which is a, a standing room area, which is up on the second level, right up over the, the Worcester bullpen. Beautiful views of the ballpark and all the stuff going on. So it was a great place to catch the game, but we were shoulder to shoulder with people. So that was strange. And uh, they made it look very Worcester-y. Um, a lot of Worcester restaurants, a lot of local businesses are sponsors and a lot of Worcester foods. You can get um, polar beverages. That's why it's Polar Park. Polar Beverages sponsored it. Um, you can get table talk pies. You can get orange dry soda. All, all kinds of these George's, Coney Island hot dogs. All these things that scream out Worcester. And uh, instead of having the big wall in left field, they got the big wall in right field called the Worcester Wall. It's 22 feet high. You can sit up on top of it. Some great places to catch the games. So my overall impression of the park was I really, really liked it. It tries a little too hard in a lot of ways to be kind of quirky and stuff, but overall it's a good place. It's so small, though, I worry when it's fully open and full, how people are going to get around. I think it's going to be really tight when, when they have 10,000 people showed up there. But real nice... Real nice park. You could check out the pictures I took. I took a lot of pictures, put them on my review on the website, and I even have a video that I embedded. They, we got to play catch on the field afterwards. Greg, Greg asks, is it stupider than Big Red? Stupider than Big Red? Who's Big Red? I'm assuming uh, that ball, whatever mascot, whatever you call him, touchy-feely ball, what is he? <laughs> What's his name? Mr. Happy? The mascot. Who's Big Red? Is that Cornell? No, that's the that's tree. <laughs> who is you got to give us some updates, my man. I don't know who Big yeah. Red is. That's a bubble gum. <laughs> I love Big Red back in the day. But anyway, yeah, my overall impression of, of Polar Park was good. It's got a train, got train tracks right behind the third baseline. Trains are going, freight trains are going. Oh, oh, Western Kentucky. <laughs> oh, oh that thing. No, yeah, I would rather have that thing than Smiley Ball. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm no, kind of. He's, he's better than Smiley Ball. He's not all the ESPN commercials. That guy. Uh, well, yeah, Big, Big Red has made an is a vet. You know, I, I, I'll put that in the uh, category that where everybody who says Orbit's better than uh, the Philly fanatic. You're just being stupid. Yeah. So, um, yeah, without going on and on about Worcester for you know 15 minutes. Are you happy though? Am I, I am not happy to not have a team closer by. And you know what? When I was saying all along, I've been saying for years on this podcast and on Stadium Journey, this is what Rhode Island needed to do. They didn't yeah. come to, they didn't step to the plate. Worcester did. They've got a beautiful new ballpark. I will go back. Could, okay. could Providence build something though? Is it too late? Now, it's could, too late now. Yeah. Well, for AAA, but could they build something for no, because, because of minor leagues, territorial rules. Providence is part of Worcester's territory. Okay. But, well, they would have because to get permission. If, because, yeah, because the counties are How about Atlantic? Yeah. How about Atlantic League? That's my, my uh, 
thought, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this or not. I think if Providence wants to have a go of it, they've got to get an Atlantic League team. Mm-hmm. And they've got to market it right, and they've got to connect strongly. I think it's stupider than Auto the Orange, by the way, for for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, Smiley Ball kind of looks like a yellow Auto the Orange. A dumber Auto the Orange. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't like that thing. I saw a picture, I'm like, new. And what's going on with McCoy there? McCoy, they have not announced it. Um, actually, they are the state of Rhode Island, who owns the ballpark, is suing the Paw Sox <laughs> for, for neglect. And Everybody's you know suing what? baseball teams this year. The Paw Sox wow. were letting it go near the end to kind of legitimize their, their Yeah, that's what they all do. McCoy. Can I sue somebody about Fitzner? Yes. Sue everybody. Can I, can no, I sue somebody about that? Can that I bring my bucket? shoes? They're suing the the state is suing the team because of lack of maintenance over the last few years. So now the state is on the hook to, they're paying $6,500 a month, 6,500 or 65,000, 65,000 sounds like too much for, for upkeep to keep the place from falling apart. Because if you left McCoy stadium alone, it would fall down around your feet. So yeah. What should province should build a ballpark somewhere and a smaller one and get an independent league team. And uh, you know, join the Atlantic League or something. I'd go. Yeah. <laughs> so that's joined together and make it a class action lawsuit. I agree, Greg. There you go. <laughs> so then uh, that was two weeks ago. Last this past weekend, I actually went to another new ballpark at the University of Connecticut, Elliott Ballpark, a uh, new fifteen hundred seat ballpark on campus. Uh, UConn has been pretty interesting. And Greg, if Greg's listening, Greg went to UConn, so. All these sports facilities now, the whole Jim Calhoun way, where all of the old, the soccer stadium, the uh, field hockey stadium, um, the softball, the baseball, and the old Freitas Forum ice rink, where those are all there, they've almost all been torn down and they've all been replaced. So UConn had just this plain field with some metal bleachers up around it, J.O. Christian Field. Now they have this brand new 1,500 beautiful Beautiful looking ballpark, which is a, a great place to go catch a game. And uh, it was free. They announced at the last second, Connecticut lifted their their capacity requirements and their mask mandate. And UConn said, all right, fans, if you want to come, come on. We got, we're opened up. And so we went and uh, checked it out. Really nice place. Got a couple of standing room areas that are really nice vantage points to catch the game. A nice small grandstand. Like I said, seats 1,500 fans. Not too big, but it's got the amenities to be able to attract the recruits now because UConn plays their sports on a national level. So they need a nice place. And then on Sunday, I went to Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford. So we went to Hartford, went home, went back to Hartford, went back home. Um, Dunkin' Donuts Park, still one of my favorites for, uh, for minor league baseball. We talked about it on one of the overtime podcasts, so I won't get into it too much here. But like I said, it was the first full stadium event that I've been to since the pandemic and it was it was strange but it was nice if that makes any sense it was strange to be around that many people not wearing masks but it was also it felt like yeah we made it through we're on the other side so that was good so those were my trips over the last couple of weeks um mark how about in the next couple of weeks well, you got anything planned i, I am going to I'm going to two new ballparks. One is going to be next Tuesday. At this time, I will be in Lafayette, Indiana. They're reconstructed Loeb Stadium. Uh, brand new facility for the Prospect League team. 
So looking forward to that. Always excited to see a brand new stadium. And Thursday, I'm going to check out Prasco Park. It's not a new stadium. I've never been there. It's in Mason, Ohio. It's an amateur ballpark. And they host a variety of amateur games. And this weekend will be the Big East Championship. So I will be watching UConn baseball myself this weekend outside of Cincinnati. Uh, Seton Hall, Creighton, and uh, one other team's playing there. Oh, Xavier. Xavier is going to be playing. Seton Hall made the tournament for the Big East. Yeah, they had a 500 record overall. But UConn, the, the series I went to, UConn had played Seton Hall. Four game series. Yes. UConn won the games by a combined score of like 65 to 10 yeah they're they're the number one seed heading yeah. in and, and the favorites but prasco park what they do there is uh and i've been waiting to go to this ballpark for a couple years uh they have a lot of uh children's inflatables they have pre-game concerts may not be the case this year and they have theme nights so this will be montgomery in barbecue night which is nowhere near dinosaur barbecue level so you, you get that with your free admission. I had to get the tickets online. It's free, and that's the best part. Free tickets, and you get to see some uh, top-level college baseball. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to next week, and uh, we'll see where else uh, the summer takes me. You know, that's one of the – that might be – you were talking about, like, the uh, children's play areas and stuff. That might be one casualty to this pandemic because that was something that Hartford always had at Dunkin' Donuts Park beyond the center field mm-hmm. fence was like a big children's play area. They don't have that now. At least they yeah. did. For my thing, I don't know if it was because of it was a lack of time to get it set up or because you can't really disinfect that properly. So is that something that we may see fall by the wayside now? Well, to, yeah, that they, we could see it fall. Yeah, maybe for the time being. I hope not forever because yeah. uh, you the definitely want to entertain the kids when they come to the ballpark because yep. not all of them are baseball fans. And, exactly. you know, a lot of parents take their kids to, the baseball game because of those areas yep. and they'll tell me three hours of my kids being entertained with food and i get to hang out drink a beer talk to friends i'm up for it even uh yeah even uh, the most well-behaved kid needs uh needs to go blow off some steam at some point yeah no no and yeah. some of these Hartford, ballparks are Hartford amazing still had goat head out behind center field but the inflatables were not there so i didn't mm. see go pet the baby goat well hopefully 2022 we'll see these come back yeah yeah, we'll see, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what 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 survives, what doesn't, what changes, what goes back. Hmm. Um, I also have a we have a, our first big road trip planned this coming weekend, and I've got a new ballpark. We're gonna hit new for me anyway. Uh, People's Bank Park in York, Pennsylvania. Nice. We're gonna catch the York Resolution. It's been a while. Yeah. Then we're gonna go to uh, PNC Field in Scranton, or well, in Moosic, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Moosic. Uh, the, the last time we were in Scranton was 2013. We were there for the second game after they redid the ballpark. Yeah, it's beautiful. It was 30 degrees at night. The coldest baseball game uh, I've ever been to. Stop at Old Forge and get Old Forge-style pizza. It's not too far away from the ballpark. It's a small little town with a main street, Yeah, and they have all these pizza parlors nice. on top of each other. And uh, I think Ravello's is the, the one that is the most – one of the more popular ones, but different type of pizza. Definitely keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then after we're doing a dinner that day, so we'll have to have we'll have to have something quick. So pizza might do the trick. Yeah, because after uh, Spit, we're gonna head down to Allentown and Coca Cola Park. There's a Coca Cola Field. I always mix them up. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Go to Yoko's Hot Dogs when you're Park. in Allentown. Coca Cola Park. 
So we'll see the Iron Pigs. And then on Memorial Day, we'll be back in Hartford at Rensselaer Field to see the uh, NCAA lacrosse championship game. So Hopkins is not playing in it, but we'll, uh, we'll enjoy ourselves nonetheless. You know, whenever somebody mentions the Iron Pigs, just shout out to Mike Ventola. Uh, okay. Who um, Mike is, Ventola? He Ventola. He is the uh, play-by-play guy for the Iron Pigs, and I used to know this kid when he was in college. Uh, he's a few years younger than me, but he was in college, and he's a Yankees fan. He's going to co- he literally went to college to do this, and he find him years later. He's calling games for the the Iron Pigs, and he has a show called Venting Daily, which is a little play on his name. And the way we connect is we both love the Bronx Tale and Chaz Palmentary. And it's just so cool to see him pop up when the Iron Pigs play. I'm like, I, I, I knew that kid when he wanted to do this. He's doing it now. That's great. And I, I'm not a hockey player. <laughs> yeah, so many of us are not doing what, what we Everything wanted I wanted to do, I couldn't do because I wasn't tall enough. And I'm like, well, Dad, it's your fault for marrying the short woman. <laughs> Is your dad a tall man? No, he's t- Well, he's <laughs> All right, so Kelly's 5'11". Dad's five nine. My mom's under five foot. I got in the middle, but then yeah. when he follows Kelly, Kelly's taller. So I'm like, oh, you know, just <sighs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> so that's, that's I wanted to be a hockey to... player. I wanted to be a wrestler and a baseball player. I wanted to be one of those three things. Like you can't do any of those. You're too salt. You're too short. <laughs> All right. Trevor, uh, Trevor Sen says otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, once again, we want to thank Zach Fish for joining us tonight, and uh, we'll thank Dave for joining us tonight too. If you want to follow Dave online, you can find him at Profan Nine. Dan, how about you? Where can our listeners find you online? Find me being short at DanLaw eighty three. Mark, how about yourself? You can find me at Ballpark Hunter across all platforms, including YouTube, where I have videos every Monday and Thursday. Check them out. Latest is uh, old ballpark commercials. I've taken some of your favorites from the 80s and 90s, spliced them together, tripped down memory lane. Nice. Nice. And you can follow me on the social medias at PuckmanRI. And don't forget to check out the website after you listen to the podcast, of course, stadiumjourney.com. Like, follow, share, and subscribe to Stadium Journey on all the social media channels. You can find the Stadium Journey podcast by searching HIAC Talk Radio Network on whatever podcast app you use or on Spotify. We're there too. Please like, share, and subscribe. Yes, like, share, subscribe. Donate. We're paying me out, right? Yeah. Avoid the middleman. Just cost money, y'all. We simulcast live every other Tuesday night at Eastern on twitch.tv slash DanLaw83. Thanks to those of you who have hung in all night. And we will return in two weeks on June 8th. We tentatively have a guest from the Tri-City Dust Devils, but we will confirm that. So join us in two weeks. Until then, everyone, uh, be safe with your stadium journeys, please, as everything opens back up. We'll see you in two weeks.